Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John chapter 20, beginning to read at verse 19. Glory be to thee, O Lord. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nails marks in his hand, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God, Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miracles, signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. This is the gospel of Christ. Praise be to thee, O Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, a little bit like us, the disciples were in lockdown. And for pretty much the same reason, they were in lockdown because they were fearing for their own safety. They were scared that the religious leaders of the day would come and arrest them and they might even end up getting the same treatment that Jesus did. And ironically, as history went on, most of them did. Most of them were killed for their faith. And like today's reading is almost like the seed that inspired those men, those disciples, to go and be prepared to give their lives for God. Jesus had been executed 
the previous Friday afternoon. He was taken down from the cross round about three in the afternoon and hurriedly buried before sunset. And we know that the following Sunday, Jesus rose, but we're now the scene we're looking at is the following Sunday evening, just two and a half days later. And the disciples in lockdown, scared, not understanding really what was going on. And is well, what was going on? At least two of them had been to visit the empty tomb early in the morning and seen it empty and seen the grave clothes wrapped up and folded and so forth. Mary Magdalene had been and actually spoken and seen Jesus and ran back and said that I've seen the risen Lord. And they were still locked up. They were still frightened of the religious authorities. And it seems that, and it's easy to look back in retrospect as be, well, no, but it seems that they'd not ever taken aboard fully what Jesus had told them about his death and his resurrection. Although the words had gone in and they probably thought they understood it, they didn't. But the good news was that particular evening that their particular lockdown was no barrier to Jesus. And suddenly he appeared there in the middle of them standing up in a body. Which was quite a strange thing when you think about it because they were locked in. So somehow Jesus in this particular body had appeared or come through the walls or whatever. But whatever he was there stood in their midst. And of course, the first thing Jesus had to do was calm them down. Peace, peace be with you. And when he got them calmed down a little bit, he started to overcome their fear and their doubt and their anxiety and their lack of understanding. And again, it may seem a bit strange, but he had to show them his wounds, the wounds on his hands where he had been nailed to the cross or fixed to the cross. The hole in his side where he had been speared with a javelin. And then they came to realise they were actually looking at the crucified Christ, the crucified Jesus. It wasn't an illusion or an hallucination. Jesus was actually there in bodily form with them. But as we've already hinted, that body wasn't quite the same as the one before. Mary Magdalene at the tomb thought Jesus was the gardener. 
and Jesus had appeared to the disciples that evening despite their lockdown. And you can imagine the scales dropping from their eyes because Jesus had been killed, executed professionally by Roman soldiers who knew their job and they weren't going to put somebody down as dead that was only unconscious. And to make quite sure that he was dead before they took him down from the throne, they stabbed him with a spear and pierced his heart. Jesus was actually dead, but now he was alive. Standing there to be seen and heard by his disciples. And their emotion now changed from being scared and frightened and unsure to one of immense joy. We're told that they rejoiced. They knew that Jesus had in fact risen from the dead. It was no longer just a concept in their head, but they knew it in their hearts as well. Jesus was no longer dead, despite having been killed, he was now alive. So as I say, they got excited about that, and Jesus had to calm them down again, this time from the other way around, from anxiety, this time from too much joy. Peace be with you, he said. But that wasn't the end. That was the beginning of something new. A turning point in the life of the disciples because Jesus wanted them to do something specific and he gave them a new defined role. A role that was so easy to remember and yet so complex to implement and understand. And this is what he said. As the Father has sent me, I send you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And that's the role of today's church. As Father God sent Jesus, Jesus to earth, so Jesus sends his followers. So that really begs the question, well, what did God send Jesus to do? How did Jesus do it? And from these things we start to get the clue of what Jesus is sending us to do. And when you start to really look deeper into it, and really you've got to explore this for yourselves, you begin to see probably how off-skew current church is. That perhaps sometimes the things that we think are important are not, and the things that we kind of trivialise or don't bother with are the most important things. 
Well, obviously, the disciples were sent out to say that the right way forward for everybody is to believe who Jesus is and was and why he came. And that he is the way that overcomes the barrier that separates us from God. And all the benefits that go with that barrier between us and God being removed. That we're obviously sent out to witness to all those unique events that Jesus did. Particularly his teachings, his life, ministry, his death, resurrection and ascension and so on. The kingdom that he proclaimed, the values of those kingdoms, of that kingdom, into the earthly kingdoms. On earth as it is in heaven, as we pray the Lord's Prayer. In other words, Jesus was saying that you guys are saved to go out and represent me wherever you are. And that's a timeless message. It was important to those first century disciples and it's important for us 21st century disciples too. To be his ambassadors. And if we're going to represent Jesus, we need to know who he is and what he's like. When we need to become more like him. We're never going to be the same, but in human terms, we can start to move closer to him. Now Jesus knew he was asking a big demand here. And he knew the disciples didn't have the strength or the ability or the intellect or whatever to do it themselves. They could only really represent Jesus to the wider world if they had Jesus with them in some way. And that way was by the Holy Spirit. So we're told that he breathed upon them and gave them the Holy Spirit. and that the Holy Spirit's empowering presence would enable them to be sent out to represent Jesus to the wider world. Somehow I think the modern church has lost that a lot. But in the early 13th century, there was a man who was the Bishop of Chichester, just over the water, named Richard. And he wrote this prayer, round about 13, uh, sorry, 1240. Thanks be to you, my Lord Jesus Christ, for all the benefits you have given me, for all the pains and insults you have borne for me, O most merciful Redeemer, friend and brother. Now listen. May I know you more clearly, love you more dearly, and follow you more nearly day by day. Amen. So what Richard had discovered was something of what I'm talking about today that if he was going to be a bishop 
representing Christ, then he had to be more and more like Jesus. He had to learn to love like Jesus. He had to know Jesus more and more each day. We come to then verse, we're down to verse 23 now. And he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Then he said to his disciples, if you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now that really needs a little bit of explanation because only God can forgive sins. But as we go out and draw people to Christ, then we know that if they accept him and truly believe him in their hearts, then their sins will be forgiven. And we also know that if we go out to draw people to Christ and they turn their back on him, then obviously they remain in their unforgiven state. Coming back to I mean, the passage now goes on to talk about doubting Thomas as he's known. And a lot of people are sceptical. And this kind of, again, is a big thing that holds people back. Fear and scepticism. And that's, this is going to come out a little bit in, in a minute when I'm just going to say what Jesus did. And you'll immediately think, well, we can't do that. Perhaps scepticism and cynicism is something that we need to get rid of to be more open to Jesus, more open to God. When Jesus came up out of the water at baptism, what happened? The Holy Spirit, he saw the Holy Spirit coming down upon him like a dove. Jesus needed the Holy Spirit to do what he did. And so it's pure arrogance to think that we don't need the Holy Spirit to do what we're meant to do. Paul goes on in his letters to warn us of two things regarding the Holy Spirit, that we don't grieve him and we don't quench him. So first of all, just like those early disciples, if we're going to go out and represent Jesus, we need the Holy Spirit. But let's go back and see what Jesus and the Holy Spirit did. First of all, Jesus was radical. I don't know, I think Jesus had some sharp edges that, you know, like a sort of stone on the beach. You know, you don't find sharp stones on the beach because they rub up and down as the tide comes in and out and they get smoothed off. And I think we've somehow smoothed the edge off of Jesus. We've made him something that he's not quite. You see, if you pick up a sharp stone, it can cut your hand. If you pick up a nice smooth stone, it's more comfortable to hold. And we have made Jesus that little bit more comfortable than he really is. Jesus was radical. Through his presence on earth, God's kingdom, God's kingdom, broke into the world. And Jesus demonstrated that with healing miracles. How many times in Matthew does he say, 
Crowds came with all sorts of sicknesses and everyone went away healed. We're told that Jesus walked on water. So he's defying natural laws here. And again, he turned water into wine. He calmed a storm. Out of a little boy's packed lunch, he fed 5,000 men and their families. He freed people from demons. He even raised people that had died. He attacked the religious authorities of his day. He went into the temple and turned the tables and told them what a mockery of faith in God they'd made. He was so radical, it's no wonder that the religious people of his day despised him, hated him, and wanted him dead. And then Jesus said to his disciples, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Those men had been with him for three years. They'd seen all these things with their eyes. Peter had tried to walk on water. The disciples, here is this little boy's packed lunch. Go and give it to these people. Sweep up the crumbs and put them in a little bag and see how much crumbs you've got. They'd seen all that and Jesus said, you go and do the same. As the Father sent me, I want to send you. And the early church did follow on quite well, following that pattern. But we're a thousand million miles away from that now. So I want you to take out today this, that as the Father sent Jesus, so Jesus sends you. Don't lock down your faith because of fear of others. Whether that's just other people in general or other people in the church, the wider church, I'm not talking necessarily St Paul's church, that might give you a slap on the wrist for stepping out of line and being too radical. But fear in general, don't let it lock you down. And don't lock in the Holy Spirit. Remember what Paul said, that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. So if you're a Christian, by definition, you've got the Holy Spirit living in you. And it's now a question of how much you allow that Holy Spirit to work in you and through you. Don't keep him locked down. Don't quench him. Don't try to tame him down. And do go, and to the best of your ability, represent Jesus as Jesus represented God to us. Just a final thought. 
You've probably all heard of J.R. Tolkien, who wrote <coughs> The Lord of the Rings. And he once wrote an essay about fairy stories. And he said that fairy stories have been popular throughout time. And they still are popular, and today, you know, Disney taps into fairy stories, and there's loads of big films, and a lot of novels are written around a sort of fairy story type of theme. And he said the thing that makes fairy stories popular are these things. They're stories in which people escape time. They escape death. They hold communion with non-human beings, like the princess talking to the frog and so on. And the heroes always find perfect love from which they're never parted. And always good triumphs over evil. And Tolkien went on to say that all these things are important to people because in the human heart there's a deep desire for those things. Well, here's an interesting point. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, if you believe in him, you don't believe in a fairy story, but all those things I've just mentioned come true for you. You live outside of time. You're offered eternal life. You will escape death, it's not the end. There's eternal life. You'll hold communion with non-human beings, angels to start with. You will find perfect love from which you will never be parted. And you will triumph over evil. Let's pray. Father, help us to be not just your disciples in name, but your disciples in actuality. Lord, empower us with your Holy Spirit. Overcome any fear that we may have of proclaiming you. Or whatever barrier there is that's stopping us from truly being your representatives wherever we live. Help us to overcome that. And Lord, help us to realise the great promises you have given us because Jesus has risen from the dead. Not that we just know them in our heart, uh, in our heads, but that we experience them as being true in our hearts. And that we can get so excited about them that we just want that to be passed on to other people. So Lord, just take each one of us and use us in your unique and special way. 
but may all of us as individuals and together as a, a church bring you glory as we represent you to people who don't know you. And we ask this in our Lord and Saviour's name. Amen.